Welcome everybody to the February 2022 CNS Journal Club podcast. Today we're going to be talking about an article entitled The Blood Biomarkers and Structural Imaging Correlations for Post-Traumatic Brain Injury. Um, it's a systematic review. Uh, this morning we have with us uh, two of the authors of the paper and two guest faculty. So I'll let everybody introduce themselves. Hello, um, my name is Daniel Whitehouse. I'm an emergency medicine doctor in the UK. And I'm also an academic clinical fellow with the University of Cambridge. And hi, my name's uh, Virginia Newcomb. I'm also an academic emergency physician and an academic intensivist here in Cambridge. I'm Alex Halatka with the Department of Neurosurgery at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Julian Bales, uh, North Shore University Health System and University of Chicago, uh, based in Evanston, Illinois. Thank you, everybody. Um, Dr. Whitehouse, Dr. Newcomb, can you give us a uh, summary of this article? Yes, of course. So um, our paper was, as you said, was a systematic review. So we were really looking at the um, relationship between the serum biomarkers and, and imaging findings following the traumatic brain injury. Now, over the last 20 years, there's been increasing research surrounding the use of blood and serum biomarkers for diagnosis and prognosis in traumatic brain injury. We were really interested in this in the specific relationship between the biomarker and the imaging findings. Um, what causes the biomarker levels to be higher than in other cases? And then with this sort of overall hypothesis that with biomarkers stemming from different neuroanatomical locations, such as say S100 beta and GFAP coming from the astroglial skeleton or tau from the dendrites, um, do the different um, pathoanatomical lesion categories, such as a subdural or an extradural, cause a different pattern of biomarker expression. So to try and answer that, we searched the literature for studies trying to address really four key biomarker to imaging relationships. We're looking at the biomarker concentration um, and the um, relationship to the volume or number of intracranial lesions, the biomarker concentration to the specific intracranial injury patterns, um, such as a diffuse or a focal injury, a biomarker to the imaging classifications, so that's such as the Marshall CT scoring or the Stockholm scoring system. And then finally, the biomarker concentration to the specific intracranial lesion types. We focused more on the acute neuroimaging and limited that to 24 hours for a CT image or 48 hours for an MRI image. Overall, we included 59 papers to try and answer the question. There was significant heterogeneity between the papers, um, which did inhibit a sort of qualitative summary or a meta-analysis of the, of the data. So we presented a, a qualitative summary. Um, so a narrative summary was presented through the paper. I think overall, um, a couple of things that we found. So um, we found firstly sort of quite inconsistent relationships specifically relating to the pathoanatomical lesion type. Um, and we felt that was largely due to a large amount of interpaper variability and heterogeneity. Um, we found that um, the biomarkers seemed to consistently scale to the burden of intracranial disease, whether that was due to um, a more diffuse injury pattern on say the Marshall CT scoring or a higher grading of the Stockholm score, um, or um, greater numbers of intracranial lesions or a greater volume of intracranial hemorrhagic lesion. Um, so I think, I think they were really sort of the, the main sort of two um, take homes that we found were that the, there was a big scale to, uh, it seemed to be scaled towards the degree of injury. Um, and we also found this high level of heterogeneity between all the papers. 
um, which I think is an important finding from research context and um, in terms of planning for future studies or looking at um, looking at this question again in five, ten years time. Wonderful. Thanks so much for that review. Um, Dr. Bales, I'll invite you now to ask some of your questions. Okay, thank you for that uh, summary. And you're right, and you talked about uh, the heterogeneity. And that always with a review of this type, uh, there's so much data. And the challenge to me is how you sift through that and come to your conclusions. So how did you, the best you could, I'm sure, how did you account for the myriad of variables, such as etiology, mechanism of injury, the characteristics of the lesions, timelines and, and other aspects uh, in correlating the biomarker results and recommendations for contemporaneous patient care. So I think this is, as you said, it's a real, it's a real pertinent question, especially related to traumatic brain injury research. The, um, the, the condition itself, as um, one of our collaborators, Professor Mass has said, is TBI is the most complex disease and most complex organ. Um, and it just contains such a variety of contrasting pathologies um, with a, a variety of acute, chronic presentations, outcomes, etc. Um, now, with this with this review, we we wanted to keep the scope quite wide because we were looking specifically at the uh, the intracranial findings on the CT. So that meant that we had inclusion of a large amount of papers that, that brought together different different ways of addressing the questions, different methodologies, and different approaches. Now, the simple way that we could try and address that slightly was limiting firstly to the acute neuroimaging. So um, certainly our time points were selected to try and avoid looking at secondary injuries or, or the development of secondary injuries. So that was the 24 hour um, cutoff for a CT and a 48 hour for an MRI image. Some of the papers did do subsequent imaging um, following their acute imaging, but all, all included um, an acute imaging time point. Um, the same can be said for, for, the, um, for the biomarker sampling themselves. So we're looking at the acute biomarker levels. Now, um, we in the analysis, we very much grouped the papers um, together. So we, um, when talking about the mild papers, the severe papers, moderate papers, we made sure to try and um, divide between them, looking through to try and limit the um, injury severity, heterogeneity that might be associated. In terms of mechanism of injury um, and the etiology of the injury, we didn't um, specifically control uh, control for that. We were looking at more the results of the of the injury, so as in what was reflected on the on the imaging following following the injury, um, and we didn't control for that in the analysis, but have have acknowledged it through the limitation section. Now, I do think that the, this heterogeneity is the take home message. Um, certainly one of our one of our conclusions is that moving forward, the use of common data elements or CDEs in traumatic brain injury research is of vital importance. Now, there's several large ongoing studies um, such as center TBI or track TBI um, with a large amount of patients. They, they utilize a common data elements approach um, to uh, allow some consistency between biomarker sampling, handling, storage and reporting alongside uh, imaging common data elements and the reporting of that with more and more publications coming from this and utilizing the common data elements, we hope that the future will mean that there's a lot more comparison that can be made between these different studies. And as things go on, um, there can be more uh, unification between and uh, homogeneity, 
homogeneity um, between the between the paper findings. Um, I think overall, I, I I do agree that it's a that the heterogeneity is a limiting factor to the to the paper and is also a, a key finding from it. In the future, the common data elements or or sort of more refined statistical approaches um, might address some of the heterogeneity in themselves. Um, when I'm referring to statistical approaches, such as if you're looking at the volume of the intracranial lesion, um, uh, approaching it less more as a less as a correlation and more as a statistical model, which would allow you to account for the account for variables that are known to influence um, the biomarker expression. Um, that might be a, a future approach that can be taken to try and reduce that and um, try and get more consistency in the findings as well. Okay. Thank you. Dr. Valaika, did you have a question to ask? Sure. First, I'd like to thank Dr. Whitehouse and Dr. Newcomb for taking this project on. It's a huge body of literature to try to get your arms around. So uh, thank you and congratulations. Um, as we all know, um, TBI can be a very dynamic process, especially in the first few hours after injury. You know, we've all seen uh, CT scans that were perhaps initially not very dramatic progress in a matter of hours to a large, large uh, hemorrhagic lesions. And you specified you had a pretty tight time window, 24 hours for CT and 48 hours for MRI. But even within that narrow window, did you notice or was it possible to look at any trends? In other words, were biomarker levels lower when specimens were collected soon after injury or CT scan was performed in a couple hours injury as opposed to, you know, 18 or 24 hours afterwards? Um, so I think you're right. So, so I guess one of the biggest issues with doing a study like this is you've got so many different trajectories um, and things happening over time for these patients. Now, unfortunately, most studies seem to have inclusion criteria of having a blood test within 24 hours, um, but very few of them actually specify the time from injury to the time of blood test and then the time from injury to the timing of scan. Um, and so it's difficult to say exactly how these biomarkers are related to the, to the um, lesion types and lesion volumes that we see on the scans. Um, and I think to add even more complexity to it, we know that some of these biomarkers um, I have, uh, have very different half-lives. So for example, um, S100 beta has a very short half-life. Um, and so, so it tends to peak in the first couple of hours after injury, whereas other um, biomarkers like neurofilament light might not peak until a few days after injury. Um, and so I think the, the temporality question and how, that, how it relates to these lesions is a really important one and something that we should investigate further in future. And in particular, to see whether or not the changes in these biomarkers actually reflect the changes in both the clinical state of the patient and any changes in imaging that we might see. I think one thing that uh, one one sort of paper that I draw out that we that we looked at that did sort of do a few serial samplings because I think really the the only way to assess a dynamic temporal profile that we're sort of talking about would be serial sampling. Um, it's quite an old paper, it's from 2000, um, which was uh, by uh, Herman et al. Um, specifically, the paper was temporal profile um, of release of neurobiochemical markers of brain damage after traumatic injury is associated with intracranial pathology as demonstrated in cranial computerized tomography. So quite a long title. But um, so that paper only looked at 66 patients and it looked at NSE and S100 beta. Um, and obviously being at two, in the year 2000, it's sort of 
right at the start of the of the biomarker explosion, almost in traumatic brain injury. But they um, they had looked with different pathologies and then separated the separated the temporal profiles of both S100 beta and NSE, uh, depending on the on the profile. Um, so they showed that in the intracerebral contusions that the peak was earlier. Uh, so the peak in NSE was in day one, and they showed a peak at day two for S100 beta. Um, whilst in uh, patients um, patients with a diffuse axonal injury, they were showing a later peak, um, and showing a later peak sort of day three in both of the biomarkers. And then they also include this category of raised ICP, which is quite a general category, um, but they had sort of uh, specific circumstances that determined that from the CT scanning. Um, and they showed a sustained rise rather than any significant peak, more a flat line that was a sustained high. Now, I think future, I thought that paper was interesting because it showed more of a temporal profile, which I think is important. And certainly the kinetics papers of the different biomarkers build upon um, subsequent data. Uh, I think that's an area for future research, certainly is looking in the, in the presence of the different pathologies and the, and the degrees of the separate pathologies, how the temporal profile of each of the biomarkers um, is opposing to each other. Um, and I think the only way to do that is by having large sample sizes and multiple biomarkers sampled on the same patients um, at the same times, um, which hopefully some of these, some of the large studies are, that are happening, as I mentioned before, track and center, et cetera, which actually give the opportunity to do that. And I think that's an important and interesting direction for the future. Did you have any, um, did you find any of the articles that demonstrated a correlation between any of the peaks of the biomarkers and clinical events such as, you know, the ICP spikes or clinical outcomes or need for surgical intervention, anything like that? So, um, not, not as, not as much. So the, um, the, I think there's, um, the clinical outcomes, um, question itself is, is sort of a question uh, question outside of the remit of, of this review. Um, clinical outcomes are obviously the sort of mainstay of, of, of this research and really once we once we can correlate between the biomarkers imaging clinical outcomes etc then that's making a more consistent case for the usage of these biomarkers in day-to-day -day practice. But um, it was more outside of the, it was outside of the scope. We weren't specifically looking at clinical outcomes, outcomes from, um, from the paper in relation to either the imaging or the, or the biomarkers. Um, the, in terms of the, in terms of the peak, um, the, I, I, there's no papers that spring to mind from the, from the ones that we've looked at that have shown clearly in terms of the temporal profile and relationship of that temporal profile. Um, Again, I think it's something that can be that should be built on, and I, I think it'd be important part of that previous question that we were talking about in terms of temporality in relationship to findings. Um, but it's not something that I have an answer for from from the papers that we've looked at. Yeah, and I also think it's a, it's a very it's a one of the key questions, isn't it, that we want to answer is that can we predict if someone's going to have neuro worsening on the basis of their biomarkers? and so know ahead of time that someone might get worse and so prevent it. I think there's a number of key things that, are, that uh, cause problems in answering that question. So the first is that none of these biomarkers as yet are truly point of care. Um, and so once they do become properly point of care, then we'll be able to look properly, better at those kind of questions. 
but also a lot of studies to date tend to have um, the sampling times of biomarkers to imaging or to neuro worsening is very inconsistent between the studies. And so trying to, I guess, make things a bit more homogenous in terms of, of sampling and also having a lot more sampling times will help us answer those kind of key clinical questions um, that as neurosurgeons and neurointensivists were really interested with these patients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dr. Viles, did you have another question to ask? Yes, I, I do. You're, you're both emergency medicine physicians. So my first part of my question is what got you interested in this study? It's a big undertaking. And number two, has it already changed your practice the way that you would practice yourself or, or interact with consultants such as neurosurgeons for patient management? Um, so I guess for me, why I got interested in it, so I'm, I'm both an emergency physician and a, a neurointensivist um, who also runs trauma follow-up clinics. So I'm very interested in the trajectories of patients after their brain injury. Um, and I saw that there was a lot of literature or a lot of people were asking questions about could we use a biomarker to determine if someone needs to have a head CT in the emergency department. But that to me is not necessarily the most interesting question about these patients. It's what can we actually learn about the pathophysiology of what's going on with these patients? And so then can we actually better design interventions that we might give to them to prevent the secondary injury that's occurring? Um, and so that was... Um, I guess one of the main reasons why I got interested in biomarkers having done imaging research for, for many years. In terms of has it changed how I interact with, with people? I think it's certainly changed how I might think about what's happening in the, in the uh, pathology of traumatic brain injury and be a bit more mindful of, the, of whether or not we can potentially look for secondary injury in the future. But as yet, I don't think it's actually changed my specific interactions. Yeah, I think, um, so I'm purely emergency medicine um, at the moment, so would say junior registrar in the UK. Um, not quite sure what that translates as in, in the US. So it would be a resident. Resident, there we go. Um, the, the question itself was born from, um, so we're both involved with, with Centre TBI, and our department is, is headed by Professor Menon, who is one of the... Um, one of the initiators of the Centre TBI project. Um, Daniel, let me interrupt briefly for one second. Some of our listeners may not be familiar with Centre TBI or Track TBI. Can you take a few seconds to summarize those studies? Um, so, so, so I guess I'll, I'll, I'll take that question just in terms of the two studies. So they're both large cohort studies that have been running over the past few years. So Centre TBI um, is a comparative effectiveness study um, where they've collected just over 4,200 patients data across the whole spectrum of head injury from ranging from mild or those who go to the emergency department and, sent, and are sent home, um, those who are admitted into hospital and then those who require intensive care. And all of these patients have been followed out to um, up to two years after their injury. And within Centre TBI, there's been a sub cohort of patients who've had um, very highly characterization, including um, blood biomarkers, uh, MRI, and neurocognitive testing. Um, and TRAC TBI um, is really a sister study of Centre TBI um, and has been an excellent study that's run in the US by Jeff Manley and colleagues. 
um, where in level one trauma centers, they've done a very similar study of a cohort study um, of thousands of patients, um, again, following them up um, over up to two years or so, um, also performing biomarkers and MRI. Um, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. And I think these two studies in conjunction with data that's also been collected in China, um, India and, and Australia are really going to herald the start of having uh, large cohorts of patients being able to be pulled together to answer questions that simply haven't been able to be answered in this very heterogeneous patient group um, until now. And so I think it's a pretty exciting time to be doing traumatic brain injury research. Okay, thank you, Danielle. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off so you can... You can oh, no, no, that's, it needs explaining, doesn't it? Um, so the, yes, yeah, so we've, we've, we're involved with the Centre CBI and the, uh, largely due to the, ima uh, the imaging um, aspects of Centre TBI, um, so both CT and MR imaging. Um, now, as, as researchers, the first part of asking any question is, is knowing what the, what the background is to, to any of the questions that you're wanting to ask on your data. Um, see if it's been answered before, what you can learn and what approaches have been taken. Um, we, we've been very interested in the, in the correlations between the biomarkers and, and the findings on, on CT and the findings on MR and, and have been doing a lot of work on, on that. Um, but to start all of that, it needed a, needed a good thorough look through the background literature to help formulate our hypothesis, our questions and our directions on that research. This paper was born from, from that question. So it was thinking about where we can go in the future, what we can, what we can do with the data that we have and see what's been done previously. Um, in terms of how it's affected my clinical practice. So unfortunately at the moment there, fortunately or unfortunately, I think um, it depends on your um, interpretation of the biomarker literature. Um, there's no TBI biomarker that's recommended for use in the UK context at the moment. Um, we don't have point of care platforms available. Um, and so my day-to-day -day practice is not interacting with traumatic brain injury biomarkers. Um, in terms of my future practice, I, I, I am clearly biased because a large amount of my work has been to do with traumatic brain injury biomarkers and imaging findings, etc. But I do think it's a direction that shows a lot of promise that, um, that has a, a lot of potential for patient benefit, um, especially in the emergency department. Um, and I see, I see that being able to accurately interpret what the, what the numbers are telling us is, is vital, whether, it, whether it's just a binary yes no type situation the biomarker is either high or it's not and if it's high it might be something in the head or whether the different levels of the biomarkers show a bit more granular detail and a bit more information for a clinician um, i think is important when interpreting a test and especially if the test is then going to become more widespread um, i think this is all important data to sort of interrogate that question a bit further so though it doesn't influence my practice at the moment, I think it could in the future. And I think this is a very important step along there. Um, and I guess just to put a little bit of context, um, given the fact that, that this is predominantly an American journal um, and we're British authors, um, is that we, we're mindful of the fact that while we don't have any tests approved in the UK for use, 
um, that there are FDA approved tests in the in the US such as UCLH and GFAP. Um, but I think the, the context is slightly different because we're very parsimonious here in the UK with our CT scanning. Um, and so studies showing that it would be of a sort of health economic benefit for us to use biomarkers have not yet been done, but they are in process. Um, so, so it may well change here um, in the future, same as I think how biomarkers are currently being used in the American context and in the Scandinavian context may also change in the future, depending on the results of these studies. Great, thank you. I think just to clarify, my understanding is that the uh, FDA approval for, as you mentioned, GFAP and uh, UCHL1 was uh, one specific company's platform, the test assay. You, know, you can't just draw blood and send it to any lab for, uh, for measurements of those. And that was only in the specific context that you mentioned earlier, I believe, about the mild TBI, the need to get a CT scan or not. Yeah, yeah, so that is the only, you're correct, that is the only context at the moment that it's got approval for. Um, I'd like to open it up, uh, open it up to the everybody here. Is there any final questions for our authors or any final uh, last words? Yes, um, it's been a great discussion and thank you both for taking the time to join us. Um, one problem with the real world is that, as you know, a traumatic brain injury, especially on the severe end of the spectrum, rarely occurs in isolation. You know, many of the patients have significant injuries to the the chest, abdomen, long bone fractures. How do all those other injuries, and I'm, I'm sure the you know, cytokine storms and other chemicals they release in the blood, how does that overlap with or interfere with or affect our ability to focus just on TBI in the context of a severely polytraumatized patient? Um, I think that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think there's certainly some studies and some that I've been involved with that have shown that some of these biomarkers are elevated in the uh, patients who are, are just either orthopedic injuries or only extracranial injuries, depending on how you want to, to call it. Now, whether or not that's because there's some kind of peripheral nerve damage that's occurring with some of these biomarkers, or if the reality is, is if you've got enough force to give you a significant extracranial injury, then you may well have an undiagnosed mild head injury. I think these are still things that need to be debated and thought about. Um, and I think we need to be careful, particularly if we're going to use biomarkers to guide our management to make sure that they are specific to the condition that we're looking at. Um, but I think it is, it's a, I think, you know, um, there are sort of a handful of proteomic biomarkers and a few metabolomic biomarkers that are being used. But actually the reality is there are so many different biomarkers that can be used that I think in the future, there will be these sort of poly po uh, panels of biomarkers that will be used, but we're not quite there in that space yet to be able to do so. And that may actually help us in the extracranial versus cranial injury uh, question. Well, I think that's uh, about all the time we have for today. Um, I just want to thank everybody so much for that fantastic conversation. I think there's clearly been a lot of interesting work in this area, and it seems to be a fruitful line of inquiry for the future management of this uh, very complex entity. Um, for all of our listeners, please remember that our podcasts are complimentary to all CNS members, and they offer a free 1.5 CME credit, which you can claim on the CNS website. Um, thanks again, everybody, for joining us today, and we'll join again next month for our next Journal Club podcast.